Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, Howard. I made you say it. You I know. Were, I, I know you were waiting for it. I think we're going to go with that. I think from now on, you should say hello, Howard, and introduce me. And we should like, come up with some long-winded thing. Yeah. And just read and all my And welcome accolades. to the Howard Lindzen Show. Why aren't we doing that? Why do I have to come up and just say the same boring canoot every time? Um, Can not? So yeah, let's well, do it. You should now do the intro. All right, we'll do that. that, I, that we just learned something new. Fair enough. And I had to come up with the idea by, by forcing you to say something because of dead air. Should we do it like in the movie phone thing? And you the know, movie be phone. People like your right, voice. Right. Just be canute. All right. Don't hide behind your greatness. All right. Sounds good. God, why am I kissing your ass? Okay. <laughs> it is panic with friends. You know one thing I'm panicked about besides... Tell me. Hair growing in weird places in my manscaping problems. By the <laughs> way, Conan O'Brien did a manscape reading ad. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I awesome. Mean, unbelievable. So they gave him like, you know, the same ad that I read. Right. That I was reading. Uh-huh. He turned it into like three minutes. It was the funniest bit. <laughs> I'm sure he did. And like, even though he was kind of making fun of it, they don't care. I mean, it's a fucking manscaper. He don't, they don't care. Right. What a great ad campaign. Fantastic. They really do a great job. Paul does a great job. All right. So where was I? Do we have a guest? We do. Do we? Let me just give me some more clues. Uh, three syllables. It's a woman. Yes. I pronounced her name wrong for how many months now? Uh, forever. Okay. Until today. How do you say her name? Christy Marchese. All right. So anytime I'm going to say her name, you chime in. And today's right. guest? Christy Marchese. Yeah. And so I was talking to her because I'm friends with her husband. Joe Marchese. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Too late in the day so for much this easier stuff. for me. You study and I just have my quiet moments because senior moments and you fill them in for me. That sounds good. Okay. What movie am I thinking about right now? Porky's Revenge. I knew it. Which one? Porky's Revenge. Oh, you're sick. I know. Because I was thinking of the third Porky's movie. It wasn't Revenge. <laughs> I don't know. That's the ultimate revenge. I don't know. It's horrible. Okay, Porky, Knutsky, we're going to get uh, Christy Marchese on the phone. She's holed up in New York. And we've had her husband, Joe Marchese, on the show. Yes, we and have. And so this is the first husband and wife team. I think we're going to have Joanne Wilson on, so it'll be Joanne and Fred. Have we had any other husband and wife? Not yet. Are you sure? No, never. But I want to sound sure, so I say not yet. All right, Google that. Okay, we'll do. All right. So while you're busy for the next three hours, we will start the show. But uh, first husband and wife team, they're both entrepreneurs. They are Sohoites, New Yorkites. So it's a cool couple, power couple. And when they have a kid, we'll have their kid on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe before that, we'll have their dog. And maybe one day I'll do a show from their apartment and they'll come here and interview me. Christy and Joe. Marchese. We'll interview Howard. Linson. Unbelievable. You're like an unbelievable. You're like a... You're like a killer whale. You learn so quickly. <laughs> You're like a dolphin. All right. So uh, let's get uh, Christy on the phone. we Will do. Hello. Christy. Hi, Howard. How are you? Yeah. You're going to be happy. I have not butchered your name in the pre, in the pre-log. You know, it's like Ellen. Mm-hmm. People call my wife Helen. And then after a while, she stops. She, what's the, if you don't correct immediately, years could go on. There are people that I've known for 30 years and they still call Ellen Helen. And I go, Ellen, when is the appropriate time now? Well, you can't tell them now. 
right? Dude, I like, get called Christine probably every other day. Someone just throws an N in my name and I'm Christine. And I, I don't correct them either. I'm like, they'll figure it out. It's on email. They, they won't read. figure It'll it happen. out because now they're part of the game because they don't want to be called out on their embarrassment. That's how Trump yeah, won the presidency. The, um, <laughs> so there we go. So, so how is life in New York? I mean, I love life in New York. Where it's like New York is for the New Yorkers, where we don't have the tourists. The restaurants are spilling out into the streets. I, think, I don't know if we hit herd immunity yet, but the the uh, what's it called the rate's pretty low for COVID. I, I don't know. I actually really love New York. And if you love New York, you love creativity and culture. Yes. So, so my biggest thing that I miss about COVID, other than seeing friends, is going to the movies. My wife and I were twice a weekers in Phoenix. Great movie theaters here, Harkins, mm -hmm. uh, great business, clean. Uh, one out of 10 times, there'd be gum on my ass when I get up. And that's a good <laughs> ratio because AMC is nine out of 10. So for me, not being able to go to the movies is a bummer. No matter how good Netflix, HBO, yada, yada is, it was just my mental place to go to just forget shit. Now, the movies got generally worse over time per dollar amount spent. So I'm so excited about what you're doing at Story Space. So let's, let's talk about movies, the future, cinemas. This is what this show today is all about. So the floor is yours. Tell people about what you're working on. Uh, sure. I mean, thank you so much for, for talking about movies in that way. I miss going to the movie theater too. I mostly miss it just for the for not being distracted, Correct. to be honest. Like if it's everything's in my home now. My home is my office. It's where I take care of home stuff. It's where I watch movies. Everything is here and I'm constantly distracted by my cell phone no matter what. So I, I do miss that that experience. And that's ultimately what we're doing at Story Spaces is we're creating that eventized, um, conscious, paying attention experience for film. And we started by you know working off this big network we had of all these, what we call a human-centered distribution, where all these different spaces and people who like to organize their community or whatever their grouping is around a story and around a good film. And so now we're doing that virtually by enabling anyone to set up their own virtual cinema for new release and special release films that has both chat and video um, conferencing functions. So you can actually watch it with other people together and Skype, excuse me, zoom in talent and the filmmakers. So it's keeping us busy. So when did you get the idea? And tell me how this evolved over time. I mean, it, it truly was an evolution. It started, I don't know, eight years ago. So I started a company called Picture Motion, which does impact strategies and campaigns for a range of entertainment type films, um, working with streamers to studios to independents. And every campaign we worked on, we would end up creating our own essentially theatrical release, whether it was like 10 pop-up screens to hundreds of grassroots cinema experiences to thousands of classroom events. And over time, we just built up this network and we're thinking, how do we give filmmakers access to this? Or how do we give audiences access to these great films that maybe don't have movie theaters in their town or these films will not come to a theater? And there's something about an actual theatrical release, that exhibition, that concentrated time you have um, in a theater or co-viewing with people is a different experience than passively watching something and being on your phone and stopping and going. So the idea was like, can we build something that takes ourselves out of it and connects this network of people and spaces to these amazing films that we've curated that are both new release and, uh, and re-releases and have people go from there. And so that's what we've been doing the last few months. We've had over 300 events uh, virtually. We had one last night with over 600 people uh, co-watching a documentary and chatting together online. And how do you get the rights? So how does that work again? Uh, working directly with the either the filmmaker or the distributor or the studio, whoever owns that non-theatrical license. And will it work for a Tom Cruise movie one day or no? 
I do. I mean, honestly, my dream right now is I wish we could have been up to speed a little bit earlier. I want to release, you know, Wonder Woman 1984. If they're going in theaters and HBO, we could have gone right before saying anybody can organize their own event for it. When that means is like I as a super fan and big fan of Wonder Woman would go organize my own cinema, charge tickets, an actual ticket price could be $20 or whatever the local cinema is or comparable to local cinema. My friends and family all come to that and we watch it together before the film releases. I'm a fan of that. I will go and bring those people to my screening, which is now virtually, but could also be in person in the future out of COVID. Okay, that's genius. So how much more COVID do we need? Because yeah. I'm all for COVID if this is what finally has to happen. I'm all for a million <laughs> deaths so I can get movies the way I want to see them with my friends. No, but I mean, like, what? Okay, that's a big vision, and I get it, and mm-hmm. I love it. But what's the tipping point for that type of stuff to happen? And, and kind of like, if that happened tomorrow, would you drop everything and do that kind of thing first? Because that's the smartest thing to do? Sure. If it was the smartest thing and that's that's what people want, that's the type of film that people want to show. Sure. But I think we're, we would never abandon the, the independent films or the distributors who are we're the ones that are doing best on the platform right now because they have those kind of diehard fans. So we look at it two ways, too. We have the virtual cinema and the virtual cinema is so easy to set up. It's easy for anyone to just make a, essentially a pop up and in a few hours get people together. There's very minimal planning for it. I think long-term, those will be really special experiences, um, a little bit more interactive. You'll have more talent, a part of them. When we come out of COVID, the the plan and what our original plan was, was actually using physical spaces. So tapping into the churches, the libraries, the museums, essentially turning them into movie theaters, doing the rights management, the box office reporting, securing the licenses, um, negotiating the deals with the studios or distributors, the content owners. And so actually, yes, Wonder Woman could release in that same network because it's not competing with a theater. We look at where all the the movie theaters are. I think it's just under half or in four states. And it makes sense because of population um, and more denser cities. But there are still places that don't have independent cinemas that don't that won't reach this film, won't reach them. And independent films are even harder to reach in these areas. So we actually would want to go out to our network. And I think we checked 72 percent of our spaces are outside. Physical Mm. spaces are outside those four states. And bring a film to them and expand that Wonder Woman release. And how do they get the screen and all the other stuff or what equipment? Yeah, most spaces actually have it already. The places that we screen with. We we surveyed um, about 6,000 of our spaces and exhibitors about a year ago to see where their pain points were. And actually having the equipment wasn't one of them because they, they're, they're existing for another purpose. They have community or a business that already uses some sort of sight, sound, and seating. If you're a bar, you have TVs and seating. If you're a church, you've got the pews and the big screen. If you're a yoga studio, you have the wide space and people bring in their yoga mats and sit together. We've, we've done yoga room screenings. Um, so that actually wasn't a major pain point. And all the spaces we're looking and people we're looking to work with have that already. You, you kind of came up with the idea pre-COVID. You've come up with a COVID world answer, but the post-COVID world is coming. We're closer to it now than mm-hmm. we were six months ago, but maybe it's a year away, year and a half away, six months. Uh, it feels like both will work, right? Yeah. And so the question is, what does your gut feel about that? Ooh, such a good question. I think like my gut feeling about it is there will be both. I also don't deign to know too much about it because it's so hard to predict the COVID world and it's hard to be an expert about anything right now. But I think the virtual experiences will work for this, the extra special experiences, the thousands, the multiple thousands of people coming together for an interaction that's unique and special and, and that transcends uh, geography. But the in-person is where we do really want to focus. So we look at the 
what is it, 4,000 theaters, 20,000 screens or 40,000 screens, but there's millions of spaces that we can access. And to me, that's actually where we would want to focus. And I think there's going to be a big push for people to get outside afterwards. Once people feel safe, once there's a vaccine, people will go back to some behaviors and there'll be a, like a bigger desire for connection for community. And part of what we like about our in-person non-theatrical releases is they're special to that community. You're not just going into a cinema. And I love cinemas. Where you're not going back into that traditional gum at the bottom of your popcorn box, as you said. You're going to a space that you're already connected to, whether you go to your synagogue or your church or you go to that community center. That's a space you're already familiar with in some way and you're more likely to go to than you would to maybe a more gen pop space. When did you know the movies were your thing? Oh my gosh, I worked in a movie theater in high school. So maybe that was it. I worked in a movie theater in high school. I started editing music videos and films. Like I think my first one was in like 1999 um, and just loved the ability to still tell a story through sound and music. Um, I realized I was also not really great at it. So it's not really on the creative side. Um, so long-term trying to figure out how I could work in the film business um, was something always in the back of my mind. Took a huge detour in school and went a different route, but found a way back to it working with some incredible people in the entertainment space. Who are the incredible people right now in the entertainment space? And which are the cool companies that you follow? Oh, well, for me, like I got, I, I went, I took a detour in the, the social impact. I shouldn't say detour. It was an amazing part of my, my career working in social impact. And I started working at a nonprofit that was run by a TV producer named Norman Lear. My job was figuring out social media partnerships and how you build community online and how do you use um, entertainment, pop culture, celebrity MySpace to get young people to register to vote. So we got to produce, I think we did over 70 short videos and release them through social media, all driving people to take an action. And then I got to go work for Jeff Skull's company, Participant Media, and worked for two amazing women there and a great team on how do we use big film and big entertainment and large releases to get people to be a part of a wider conversation about an important social issue. And then from there, basically took what we did at that company and launched my own company doing that for all different types of filmmakers out there. And so I still like stay in touch with, you know, what is participant media doing? Because I think they can set the conversation through film. I follow what all the streamers are doing just because it's, it's constantly entertaining to see what's happening. I care about what's happening with AMC, like they're um, within the big theater chains. We need exhibition. It's an $11 billion part of the industry that gets baked into any theatrical or any film's budget. It can't just disappear. It, it affects where the actors get their money. It affects um, the whole um, rest of the line of the film release. It all falls down from that theatrical release. So there's, I pay attention to a lot of, of what's happening on, on the bigger industry fronts. And then I'm just really grateful for having to worked at some great companies before that informed it. Shit, Knute, she knows, she knows some stuff. She knows her stuff, no doubt about it. You know how she had to wake up and see me roaming around her apartment, Knut? Oh, man. I'm, uh, Christy, I'm Joe, so sorry. It was... He brought you back without telling Christy, didn't <laughs> yeah. he? You know what kind of, Would Ellen stand for that? You know <laughs> Ellen. How shocked were you on a scale from one to ten? I mean, she just took it in stride. Oh, she well, heard thank the, you. She heard the my... uh, Manscaped thing going in the morning. She just heard, like, <laughs> she's like, what, is there gardeners? I go, no, it's Soho. There's not a piece of grass in the neighborhood. That's me. So I'd like it's stumbled. astroturf that we have here. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, Joe just said, come stay in my apartment. So I did. He didn't mention that I shouldn't get up early. His wife may see me. And uh, <laughs> you took it all in stride. You kind of have to. He's a fun character to live with. And I know that if he's like, you know, bringing a strange man home, that must be an interesting or very nice strange man that's coming home. And then that ran into you next in Paris. At, uh, that's right. <laughs> at, at another event that I was crashing. So I crash events. They get invited to events, Knut, and I crash them. It's so Howard, and that's so Marchese. 
The I mean, the, I'm so appreciating how how worldly I'm sounding. I, I sound welcoming, and now I sound like I go to Paris a lot. This is wonderful. Interview. Well, I, I don't know how many this. times you went, but what are the odds <laughs> that we ran into each other for the second time? And, and I manscaped right at the table, Knut. Again, that was the second time. <laughs> well, that's the Parisian way. That is the Parisian way. I was had a cigarette and I was manscaping. So favorite movie of all time for you? Oh gosh, I feel like I'm always so cheesy when I give like my favorite movie because like, but it's that movie that you saw when like you're younger that moved you. Porky's Revenge. Ah, oh, that's not the third one. That was the final installment. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what um, is your favorite movie? And is it the same as Joe? Can you guys sit together and watch the same movie over? Ellen will not watch the same movie over with me. We can't. League of Our Own, uh, League of Their Own was still one of my favorite huh. movies. Yeah, we're just, I loved everything about it from the writing to the acting, to the storytelling to with women's Tom empowerment Hanks and, on and what's her name? The comedian? Uh, to, it was Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. Did I get that right? Gina Davis. But who is the other woman, the comedian that, ever, that Trump hates? What's oh, her name? Oh, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Rosie O'Donnell was in it. Madonna she, was in it. Holy smokes. Yep. Yeah, the chick baseball movie. Yep, chick baseball during the movie. War, during the wartime. All right, I'm going to give that another yep. shot. I laughed. I cried. Madonna had a soundtrack. It was great. Oh, so all right. And Joe then, and I are pretty good about picking movies together, I will say. And what about COVID? Is the industry going to come back stronger than ever? Like, what's your thoughts about movies in general? And participate, I got a million questions. Participant media, is that, that was venture-backed, I think. Um, I'm actually not positive if it was venture-backed. I believe it was founded by Jeff Skull, who I think had money from PayPal. So I think okay. it was individually venture-backed, hmm. uh, but it, don't know the details on that, to be honest. Where are they based? So, LA or Boston? Los Angeles. And Participant Media does everything, right? I mean, they're huge. They're pretty big. They're, they're more like a co-financier and, and producer. They, they pull together amazing docs. They usually get some sort of an Oscar nom. They won for Roma. I think Roma was the last... Oh, and Green Book. Both Roma and Green, Green Book, I think, won in the last couple of years for the Oscars. Wow. So, I think... Don't quote me. I can't remember. And who's the most famous person you've met? Most famous person I've met? Where you were well, like, ooh... I'm a little nervous. Okay. So here's the thing. I actually, I can never see celebrities first of all, so I don't even get the chance to get nervous. I'm not clearly aware of my surroundings, but anyone from the cast of the West Wing, I just lose it. Huh. Like I can't keep my cool. It's, I saw Richard Schiff at the, at Obama's inauguration and like bummed a cigarette. I don't smoke, bummed a cigarette off of him. <laughs> I was doing like another small event and like ran into the actress that plays Mrs. Lanningham. And I was like, I call dibs on her. I get to walk her around. She's a bit older. I'm, oh my God. I chased Allison Janney at a club once. Uh, Martin Sheen came into, she's tall. So am I. So it was great. We were both in our heels and I caught up and she was nice. And you know, I was only mildly stalking. And then Martin Sheen was super nice. I got to work with him a little bit on a project that I did at Purchase Media. So that, that whole cast is great. Roy's his name, right the good looking guy, Rob, what's his name, has a podcast that I like or, or, or was listening oh, um, to. He was Rob in West Lowe. Wing. Rob Lowe was in West Wing. That guy's been in more things. He's the one, and I saw him at a bar once in Santa Barbara when I was in college and also freaked out. The but. So I, maybe I watched that show. Canute, have you watched that show? Yeah, I did. I watched the whole thing. So if people want to organize, so I want to organize a movie because I want to get my friends together. Can I do this? Can I go to Story Spaces? You can actually, yeah. We have a few films up right now. We're doing a few releases. We've been kind of in stealth mode since August, um, just kind of bringing on certain films, certain filmmakers and distributors that we like to work with and, and doing some special events. We have a, so yes, so you can go, you can pick from the films that we have. We're just now starting to roll out and, and frankly bring on more films. 
we were doing it quietly as we were kind of testing different features. Now we're really happy with everything. But there's also a great event this Friday um, that we're doing with ESPN and the Bruce Lee documentary called Be Water. So we'll do a, a live event. Um, I believe it's 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific on Friday on uh, Bruce Lee's 80th birthday, which would have been this Friday. And we'll have um, David Chang, um, Steve Jang, if you know him from, the, from this industry. He's yeah. helped put it together. Um, I think it's Bruce Lee's granddaughter. I have to double check. It's an amazing panel afterwards. That's cool. So kind of like they would do in that in that theater in in Soho. What's that old theater? We're definitely get gum and mm. more stuff on you. What's the name? It's my favorite theater. The Angelica. Yeah, Angelica. I go in yes. there a hundred years. I've been going there with my wife. So, I love the Angelica. And I go there alone. I like to go to movies alone. So I, that's so funny. I go to the Angelica alone too. Well, why not? Well, huh. I probably sat in it. Hopefully, I didn't. Well, if, next time you go to the Angelica and it's really quiet and you hear a uh, manscape machine go off, you go, hey, yeah. how? <laughs> because I've done that there too, because no one knows me. I might as well clean up. The the So it's kind of like the Angelica, but globally and cleaner. Yes, but also it's, it's run by, it'd be run by fans. So it'd be more like you wouldn't have gum there. You would create the space like you want to create it. Right. So we're, we have a documentary of, um, for, called The Donut King, which is about this Cambodian refugee um, who built this donut empire. If you've been to a donut shop in California, you've probably been into huh. one that he was associated with, the creator of the pink box um, for donuts. Um, it's an amazing story, but you know, we're doing specialty screens where people are saying, you know, bring your favorite donut to it virtually, or the host is sending donuts, um, or like organizing donut deliveries for their audience members. You're creating a really cool space and environment. So you're having a shared experience through a story. Um, you have the connection through the chat, both for the, the text chat and the video. And then you're doing something physical that kind of like seals that memory. And I think, I can't remember who said this. It was, oh, maybe it was, um, I was on the Variety podcast. Uh, Jim Giannopoulos was talking about, with Kim Masters, about um, that experience of a movie. And it's hard to think of. And I, I love Netflix and I love Amazon Prime. I watch everything. But it's sometimes hard to think of that big cultural film when it happens like slowly and separately. You don't have that big opening weekend release or that big cultural shared experience when you're going to that theater and you don't have distractions. And I think the closest we've seen right now is maybe Borat and Tiger King. Maybe oh, the two different scenes throughout the pandemic. But Queen's Gambit, <laughs> um, I guess too long, Queen's but Gambit it probably wouldn't have done well in the theaters, even if they, right? So how do we condense that part, the eight hours or the seven hours? Is that just a different experience? I think it's it's, it's different. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of binging. And, it's, and I think that's the only comp we have when it comes to streaming is eight hours worth, a long stream. Um, or a, a, you know, a few episodes in a short period of time, that concentrated experience and having other people have that concentrated experience, then you create that cultural conversation. So I think I'm seeing it more on the, the TV side where you, you binge a bunch of episodes and can talk to other people about it. Um, on the movie side, I'm not quite seeing it at the same pace. Um, and it's, it's purely anecdotal, but I'm curious to see you know, what, are, what are the films that get nominated coming out of COVID? What are the films that culturally mm. changed us? Um, that changed our, our worldview as a country or um, as a world. So I'm curious to see what that is. Although I did hear that chess is now like one of the number one selling toys for the holidays, thanks to the Queen's Gambit. So that one definitely had an impact. Phenomenal. Didn't expect it, but Netflix served it up. And so I watched it and it was like after the first episode, I was hooked. So in this yep. world, is the power of story spaces come from the library? Meaning if I trust that they have enough, like if I want to do an event for my pals post-COVID, and I want to rent like a great restaurant, have a meal, and then everybody can lean back and watch the movie there. Is that Story Spaces helps me there too? Because I know there's a good enough library there. 
There will be, yes. Uh, I think we'll do special releases of libraries too. The idea is to concentrate it too, to make it extra special that you, you know, we're doing Parasite uh, or hypothetically, and now I'm like making sure that happens. Like hypothetically, we do Parasite and you have some of the actors or some of the creators available during that time period. So if your event has a thousand RSVPs, one of the creators will come in and talk to the audience afterwards. So yes, we eventually will have libraries and we'll do special releases around it. Um, but well, that's all, but the focus what you can't, is new. That's the extra special sauce. Is like yeah. cameo meets the movie meets the hopping meets the zoom and story spaces pulls all this stuff together. Yeah, and simply and cleanly, which is I encourage you. I'll send you um, when we have one of our new releases coming up to test it out. Actually, you should do the Donut King. It's so really, it's really good. Yeah, just if you're a doc fan. I'm, well, and and how does I mean documentaries are the future in many ways. I think. I think they're they're incredible storytelling and they're great for IP. I mean, even just watching. Now I've said Donut King 10 times, I'm going to want a donut. But like that is an incredible story that I can see being made into a feature or into a TV series. I think there's so much great IP that you can get from these real stories. And should Story Spaces build its own infrastructure or what's the mm-hmm. next step? Is, is it distribution or marketplace or is it technology? How do you kind of balance the three? I think it's a, the technology is pretty set. Now it's, you know, like when you, we have our baseline of everything we wanted and now it's just, how do we get creative from here? So next is what are the films we want to work with? What are the new releases coming out in the next few years and the special events we can do like this Friday or sorry, in the next few months, I should say. And so really focusing on the right films for community building. So the second part is really finding those, those super hosts or those exhibitors, the ones that have made these extra special events and look at, you know, what did they do right? What are the pieces that pulled people together? How do they make it extra special? Why did last night a thousand people show up or an amazing doc, but on a very specific topic, food sovereignty and, and indigenous rights? Um, so what is what pulled all that together and how do we teach that or, or share that with our other exhibitors and, and hosts and keep replicating that? So that's so it's focused on content, great films, but also making sure we're supporting those hosts and exhibitors and, and finding out where their magic is coming from. And what in the home, what's the best place to experience it in your laptop, your phone? Obviously, you can do it anywhere. What would you recommend? I think it depends. I think if you're a chatter, then you're going to want to be on your laptop and you can chat constantly. It depends on the type of viewer you are. We find, depending on the film, anywhere from like 30 to 50%, actually watch it full screen and don't engage in the social. But the idea that someone is watching it with you gives you the idea that you're feeling that you're not alone. You don't need Mm. to participate to get that social experience. Um, So I think it depends on what you want. I like to like sling it to the TV, but watch the chat, but not participate in the chat. Um, soon we'll have, I guess this is the other tech piece, um, the, is we'll have a, an app version of it. So you can actually have the film play on a TV, but have the chat and other social portions connected to a, to your phone. So you get two separate experiences. I'm fired you know. up. Can That's nice. It's great feature. Fully thought yeah. through. I think like COVID made this finally happen. I'm bearish on Hollywood, not bearish long-term, just bearish on how bad the product was getting. Right. Then Netflix yeah. comes along and kicks well, HBO for decades did it, but yeah. not, not at scale enough that, I mean, the content's hard to make, so not at scale. And then Netflix did it and made it everywhere. The timing for story space is fantastic. Oh, thanks. We, we think so. We're seeing people respond to it. And I think that the fun part for us is like, put the right tool sets, be supportive, have great content. And then the rest, you know, the exhibitors and the hosts take it from there. They have the invite tools. They can, they can sell tickets at whatever price they want. They get a 40% cut. Um, or they cover their own cost and it's free. And we have the live broadcast tool. So immediately after they can zoom in themselves or the talent or whoever they're working with. And so it's really just making sure they have everything they need to run with it. All right, this is crazy good. I'm trying to think of questions to stump you. 
So, <laughs> I mean, you tell me, what have you, what, what have you guys seen lately? What, have, what are the last few things you watched? Did you watch Borat? You've watched Queen's Gambit. Yeah, I watched it with Alan, and I'm like, ooh, I cringe. I mean, I knew I was going to cringe during Borat, and there was just, and Alan has a good sense of humor, so she, she laughed at the stupidest stuff with me, like the <laughs> the crudest, the, whatever the tampon scene. Oh yeah. Oh my god! Like, how do you laugh at that? Alan laughed her ass off. So <laughs> God bless her. But I think Queen's Gambit was great. We love uh, the uh, Apple shows. Um, Tehran. Oh, did you watch Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso was great. And Defending Jacob was fantastic. Oh, I didn't watch that one. Oh, my okay. God. Fantastic. And then on Netflix, we're watching The Crown. I find it's like not boring enough to put me to sleep and <laughs> um, not good enough to make me. But I got through it. I keep getting through it, but I don't know why I get through it. The guy who played Prince uh, Charles was fantastic in season mm. four. And the Diana gal looks exactly like Diana. So I was kind of like that story of the queen is new enough that I was excited to watch it. But it, it's just okay. It's so funny. I picked it up. I didn't see seasons one through three, but a group of my friends are all watching season four. And so it's the first time I've skipped seasons just to like be able to join a conversation. And you're right. The woman playing Diana looks just like her. Oh my God. Um, And the guy playing Charles. I mean, poor Charles. If he's anything like that. Oh, oh, poor bastard. Guy's an unhappy fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, like to have everything and be that miserable all the time. Sad. Yep. And he's like his the woman he loved just smoked cigarettes all the time. She was kissing an ashtray his whole life. He was leaving Diana to kiss an ashtray. That's how miserable the guy was. Oh my god. Oh, you gotta say spoiler alert. I'm on episode two. Oh, sorry. Well, you know what's <laughs> I'm this, kidding. The, I know what the woman he loved his whole life and Mary what's her name smokes like a chimney. Be like kissing wow. you, Canute. That couldn't have been pleasant when oh, you right. smoked. So what's it like two entrepreneurs in the house? What's the what's the good and the bad? Uh Let's see. Oftentimes, a lot of frustration, um, both like when you, you want to vent about something and you got two people venting about something. Mm-hmm. But we, we're extremely different in, in how we work and how we communicate. And I think the fun part is actually just been learning. So I, I, I think my husband's pretty smart. I didn't realize how smart I think until now I'm like sitting across from him and listening to him. And I'm like, great argument you made. Fascinating. I'm going to work on that. So it's, it's been, it's been fun and it's been a learning experience. I like to think, well, I know I challenge him, um, but I like to think I can challenge him in some interesting work ways. And it's great to have like a a buddy that understands the work that you're doing and comes from a similar space. So we do a lot of brainstorms, like a lot of problem solving. It's been really fun actually. And what about raising money for a media slash movie, but what's been the hardest part so far? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, let's see. We were originally going to do fundraising. I was in Los Angeles, had like 14 meetings set up. It was March 8th that I flew out there. And we had the original plan of of focusing on our IRL spaces and it started the conversations. We had our first commitment. It was going great. And then of course the COVID thing happens. And so we had to take a a huge step back. So I think it's been interesting because all fundraising has been done over Zoom and I don't have much to compare it to because my last company was entirely bootstrapped. Um, but for, I think one, it's helpful because you can see a lot of people in a day. Um, you have, you know, you can share your deck really easily. There's a lot of control that happens. Um, so from like a, a in practice standpoint, it's, it's been fun and interesting, but also difficult. You know, we're in, talking about the movie business, which has constantly been going up and down. We keep laughing that we we're saying theaters are going to open in April. They're going to open in May. They're going to open in June. Like the theaters have always been about to open. It feels like. And because the theatrical exhibition matters so much to the life of the film and everything falls after that, everything else was just waiting. And then knowing production was stopping meant that there was films not coming out. We weren't going to see the next wave of films. And now 2022 is just going to be packed. 
So it's it will say very difficult talking about the, the film industry and what's going to happen and to be secure and confident in what you're building when there is so much um, kind of shaky ground. But I'm really, really happy with the investors that we have, with the people we're working with, the advisors. Um, I've, I've heard a lot of nightmares about the fundraising and, and I've learned a lot from friends doing it about to be careful who you want to work with and who you want to, to build with. And I feel very fortunate to be grateful and happy with everybody I'm working with. Well, it's fantastic. So what's the easy, so give me the domain so people can go there. It's story-spaces.com until the lady sitting on story-spaces.com will give it to me. We can refer So story-spaces, that'd be great. Thank you. And do we have an address? <laughs> Let's read her address out. And how can my listeners who love <laughs> movies, how can we best help? Who are the people that the- you need to meet? Like what, what speeds this along? I mean, I want to meet with any everybody that's, we're, we're starting these and have had a few, but anybody working in exhibition and managing distribution strategy for anything that they have, for whether you're an independent filmmaker and you have one film, um, we're going to the film festivals and talking about what we do virtually. Uh, to the distributors who have a slate of films, both from you know this COVID time and, and looking in the future. And the studios who are really willing to, to experiment, because I know for them, it's uh, more at stake. But we also built the product to be a marketing tool. So the, you can do free events. We do press events. Um, we do celebrity and influencer events through the platform. It's, it's a great tech. So I think anybody that's working to figure out how do I maximize revenue through the distribution of my film, that's who we want to talk to. And if you're doing well as a venture, because you're taking venture money, mm-hmm. is it bad business to eventually be distribution arm yourself or, or get an investor like participant media or one of the major studios, or do you want to keep that separate or do you mix it? Does story space become its own filmmaker at some level and, and distributor? Yeah. I mean, we, I think if anything, we'd be a bigger player in the distribution space. Cause if we can represent a network that that's larger, even though if they're just one time events or one night events, I should say larger than, than most theater chains like that, that gives a lot of power in distribution. So I think we want to stay in that that distribution or human-based distribution space for now. I'm not sure if we want to go into the content creation space. Um, I think if you can control distribution and you have dollars coming in from that, it makes sense to also be able to control the content. But I think we'd have to, to think about that. So no, we would actually, we would partner with or take investment from anyone from theater chains to the studios. We, we want to work with all aspects of Hollywood. So we're open to that. And then Armchair Quarterback, is Netflix by an AMC or does Netflix, Amazon get into the theater business? I don't know. I mean, you're seeing this happening right now. Now the movie theaters who were kind of shunning Netflix films are saying, you know, we could use some content. And so they're taking Netflix films in theaters without the same type of windowing requirements. Um, I don't think so. I think there's a trend for a minute that they might get in the theater business. I think there's some experimentation with maybe... Uh, one or two kind of, um, what is it, like the Egyptian theater or, or like premiere type single cinemas. I don't think they get into the theater chain business hmm. um, and having multiple setups. Okay. Well, that's kind of the main, I always thought they would, but, and why is that? Just the, the math isn't good? It's just a shitty business or? Well, I think for a large, honestly, that the margins are pretty small on actual theaters. You have, you have smaller margins, you're, you're, you have high overhead from, from real estate to employees to insurance and all of that. Um, and you're, you're at risk for something like a pandemic or at risk of the weather. So there's so many factors. Mm. I think the, the theater chain that's doing it best is Alamo draft house, but they're turning it into an entertainment space. You know, it's a restaurant that has movies. It's, there's lots of pre-roll that happens. It's much, I think it's more than an, uh, just a movie theater. So I think in order for, I think we will see some theaters close. Um, I think we're going to see a reshaping of, of what a bigger theater chain looks like. Mm. Um, and I think we're going to see these turn into actual entertainment spaces and not just a waiter comes to your table and serves you some crappy fries. 
Like it has to actually be a place that you yeah. want to go. It's a lounge. It's got that Soho House feel or that community cinema. Type. It's got to be something else. Has which is to why be we're something else. But then there's backwards. always that asshole clinging their glasses or snorting or sipping it's, loudly. So I it's, think it's going to be a long haul. So I worry. I kind of yeah. am hoping that Amazon and Netflix do it just to get the experience better, just to clean these places up. So I worry about that. But in a world where yeah. I still go to the Angelica, I guess, I guess there's something to be said about disgusting old places with weird shaped theaters too. I mean, part of me was wonders if, I mean, if you look at the opening of any Amazon prime or Amazon film, it's a movie theater. They actually have a marquee movie theater as their opening logo. I always thought that was like an Easter egg. Like, mm. okay, does this mean they're actually, that's their long-term plan. It's not saying, you know, watch this at home, watch this on your computer. It's actually showing a physical movie marquee of a place you go into as their opening logo. So who knows? Maybe they will. All right. Story spaces. This was great. Thanks. <laughs> Good to chat with you. Well, we'll have you back. I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to, to have been involved in a few of these uh, releases that you've done and some of the events that you put on. So I'm excited. The, uh, the uh, Bruce Lee one will be fantastic. Yeah, so and you good. can do these it's over and over. That's just a premiere, but you can do, people can just do Bruce Lee whenever they want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can set up your own screening. Okay. Well, thanks, Chrissy. Say hello to thanks, that Howard. guy, Joe. <laughs> I will. It's right. here somewhere. All right. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, Christy. Or Casey. Anyways, cool company, huh? Yeah, great. This is something I can really relate to. It's like Jurassic Park. Creativity just finds another way. Mm-hmm. You know, so everybody thinks Zoom, Zoom's overvalued. I go, no, we haven't figured out how to even use these things yet, right? And the way she just said it, I'm slinging my movie to my teeth. I don't even know what she's saying half the time, but I know what she's saying. She's really? just taking, she's slicing up the movie, putting it on this screen. Chat's on this screen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's happening. This is one of the coolest companies that may come out of this, like in terms of creativity. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Because like I said, I like movies. I get why people don't like it. It's expensive. You got to go there. Maybe sold out. Popcorn's not good. Totally get all that. Right. I still like it because Harkins is great. There's something about just zoning out for that time. When you go to the movie theater, it's not going to stop and pause for you. You know you have to go there and look That's at what it. I'm saying. If you got to run to the go bathroom, pee, you're going to miss fucked. something. You're fucked. Right. So it's and dedication. It's, a de it's just that commitment. Right. And maybe exactly. kids just won't do this, but I think there's an angle that she's doing it that I just had to have her on the show. So it was good, huh? Fantastic. All right. You're listening to Panic with Friends. Christy. Marquesi. Took this panic and created something out of it. Spun off her company. Spun it around. Whipty dude. And uh, I didn't sense any panic. And that's mm. what we're trying to do here. It's normal if you panic, but hey, it doesn't do you any good. So uh, you got a whipty do. I couldn't even spell whipty do. And so when there's panic, whipty do it. And so if you want to whipty do more Howard Lindzen, uh, you go to uh, Spotify, Apple, search Panic with Friends, because no one can spell whipty do, or search Howard Lindzen. And you subscribe so you never have to think about it again. Twice a week, we drop Panic with Friends podcast with great entrepreneurs, investors from everywhere. We don't know what you're going to get here. And I'm not offended. You don't like it? Just go to the next one. We try and make them timeless, which is why Canute freaks out if I mention a date. Because he's correct on the, though he's very often not correct. But around this, he's absolutely correct. These are supposed to be evergreen. So stop dropping dates. But twice a week, hopefully you can go back to see them. Great entrepreneurs, traders, investors. We talk about trends, money, investing. Uh, thanks, uh, Knut, for producing it. Thanks, Doc Twits, for distributing it. And uh, subscribe and follow along.